Hello, fags, and welcome to another episode of Normal But Not As We Know It. My name's Adam Jacobs, and this is the podcast that asks the question, how new is our new normal, and what is new worthy? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once more to another normal, but not as we know it. And I really think at the end of this episode, we're not going to know it. We're not going to have any idea what the new normal is really like. And that's part of the fun I want to have. Now, if you own a TV and you remember the 80s, the 90s, the noughties, or now, there's a good chance you know this chap that's going to be our very special guest on the show today. And he's probably very probably made you laugh. Please welcome to the microphone phone, uh, Mr. Tim Ferguson. Yay! Hey, Adam Jacobs. Man, oh, awesome. Here we are. Here That's the we... sound of a crowd. <laughs> the, the, the wheezing, which is what we want, I suppose. Literally what we're looking down the barrel of a wheezing crowd as we head into what is being called a new normal. So maybe that's my first question for you. Tim, what do you what do you think about that phrase, the new normal? There's something con- contradictory about it. Well, I think it's offensive to anybody who experienced the last normal, <laughs> which was, you know, uh, two weeks ago, and the normal before that, which was the day before that. Of course, people, you know, who were experiencing that normal are just being left behind, Adam. Like but... the new normal, I mean, once upon a time, You know, the new normal was things like, what did they call it? Oh, yeah, World War II (laughs) was the new normal. Somebody declares war and the world starts to eat itself alive. The the new normal was the Vietnam War. The new normal was, oh, my God, scarlet fever. The new normal was, oh, my God, William Shakespeare is bought out of play and I'm pretty sure that girl is played by a boy. I mean, the new normal... It's an ongoing caravan, a carousel of of crackpots, of craven misfits, of vast mistakes and slightly less than vast cover-ups. It's people. So, you know, tomorrow the new normal, um, it'll have been decided that, you know, that's an offensive thing to say. So let me be the first, Adam. <laughs> You're going to well, hashtag new normal. We'll have to that, that that have double meaning. Is that what we're suggesting? That there's oh, you've got to be careful. You're right. Well, ha- exactly. I mean, the word the word normal is quite constrictive um, because not everybody's experiencing you know COVID nineteen in the same way. Some people are experiencing it through a breathing device. And some people live in Broken Hill. I mean, there's a big <laughs> difference as to what the new normal is. All I can say is it's better than World War Two. There are certain, indeed, there are certain places in the world. We could say Australia, where people would be walking down the street and possibly encountering this podcast. Who knows? And then discussing with themselves. Evidently, uh, the normal we're in right now, uh, it's new. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it happened. Everybody likes to think. Everybody likes to think they're normal, and then all of a sudden, I know you've got hair growing in funny places of your body, and your <laughs> voice breaks, and it's the ongoing normality of things is very suspect, uh, Adam. There'll, there'll have to be some people tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, mate, we're in a new normal. No one told you. You've got to keep up, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and for starters, you've got to get rid of the mullet. have you you seen the covid mullets that are popping up oh i think i have i think i have it's where people you know the hair's gotten too much so they've kind of shaved the sides and but they still got you know party at the front business at the back or vice versa you know they can't get it right they cut the bit they can see (laughs) well no no all they've got is they got the fish eyes right but that's about it well, that's it. I think, you know, if uh, it should be part of some sort of uh, transition process for an Australian to be able to mould their own mullet, at least. If they can't do it on themselves, at least have a go at a mate. I mean, most of them look like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, after a few, if you can get them. Oh, now it's, I have to say that we are evidently pandemic features on that list. And that was a very comprehensive list that you gave as well. Pandemic features on the list and its character, 
that I suppose the what it's giving us in terms of the new normal. I suppose we can talk about isolation. We can talk about what the effect on the arts community and live performance and what have you. But evidently, we are heading into a a, a, a new normal. What do you think it's it's going to look like in some fundamental ways? Uh, well, I'd say you know, I mean. Uh, can I swear in this podcast, Adam? Well, you, I, I should think so. I'm, I won't be, but I certainly don't have a problem with it. If, if you'd like to, that could be. Is this could be the new normal? Well, I'll, I'll only do it once <laughs> by saying, "Fuck the arts community!" For Christ's sake, what the flaming? I mean, you know, the arts community. What do we do? What do we do? We need more money. We need more of this. People have to learn a very simple trick if they want to learn in the arts. All right. And it just takes a lot more work, but you have to be uh, good at more than one thing. There is the nation is full of actors sitting at home, scratching themselves because the phone hasn't rung where somebody else has gone and written something, found the money, booked a crew, and, you know, has decided to put them on camera or put them on stage. And so what you find is, you know, actors, uh, when they say they're unemployed, they've only got one job, whereas the people I know are, are in comedy and in comedy, uh, everybody has to be multi-skilled. You can't just do stand-up, otherwise you just go mad and you burn out. It's bloody exhausting. Uh, someone like Carl Barron has, you know, he's made movies. Um, and why? Because, you know, you need to be multi-skilled. That's why Carl is still, despite lockdown, still one of the busiest people in Australia. Because the man doesn't stop. He adapts. He jumps rails. He doesn't wait for someone to call and say, hey, uh, you've got a job. You know, comedians tend to be self-starters. So... I will say it again, fuck the arts community. <laughs> you are sitting around and saying, oh, what will we do? It's because you haven't used your imagination and you lack skill and ability. Who cares you're a great actor at the moment? We can't use that. What we need is your mind, your creative mind, to jump rails and deliver something different, something fresh, something new. You know, surprise yourself. Mm, it's funny how, like, whenever there's a new technology introduced, whether it's in the film industry or, I guess, microphones were first used in stand-up comedy or whatever it might be, there's always this uh, resistance. There's always a pushback. And sometimes when we are faced with the the need to make use of existing comedy in a different, in, uh, existing technology in a different way, we, uh, we've still got this resistance. Whereas I see if we've got the creative people, they're getting on their phones and they're shooting something or they're collaborating in some way. We are stretching the technology and it's the creative people who end up finding their nuggets of gold, all these little unhidden things, unseen things that can come together collaboratively. And if you're sitting at home like you're suggesting, thinking, well, I have no outlet and throwing your hands in the air, maybe we're missing out on a chance of doing some stretching when it comes to the technology. Well, exactly. I mean, if nothing else, buy yourself a Polaroid. Buy <laughs> yourself a Polaroid and, and make a series of exciting, uh, breathtaking Polaroids. You, could you, know, do. you have to jump tracks, which is why, you know, COVID happens. What am I doing? Well, I'm writing scripts for when the sun comes up, you know, and I'm teaching online. I'm, uh, I'm getting on the phone and uh, hassling people to get their new project done. How's that script going? I'm editing scripts. I'm as busy as I always am mm. without all the bloody aeroplanes and 26 hours of travel just to go to work. Yeah. It's all about being adaptable. And I'm in a wheelchair. Cue violins, please. Make it smaller. If anyone, if, if nobody Any knows, Tim's in a wheelchair, just so, in case, just for an update. Yeah. If you missed so it, the new normal, the new normal, I think, in terms of the creative arts, will be about uh, 
not just young people, but new people, because new people tend to walk into an art form and say, well, this is all crap. I'm going to reinvent it, which is why the most interesting comedy um, tends to come from brand new people barging on stage doing a five-minute um, open mic routine because they don't have, you know, any respect for what happened before. They don't look at, you know, someone like me and go, oh, well, what did Tim Ferguson do? I will copy him. They don't even really listen to what I tell them um, when I'm teaching people how to write comedy because um, mm. all I do is give them the principles of how it works. Um, so they can ignore that, but at least they know what they're ignoring. But the, the thing is, it'll come from young people. If it's going to be technology, someone will work out what to do with telephones that uh, no ancient 21-year-old has even considered. You've got to be 15 and angry and have five minutes to spare. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I think there's a few of them out there. They probably, at a strange place, though, that age group, it's interesting you should mention it because for a long time now, you know, I often think about their experience, uh, having a bit of spending, a bit of time with them because I do a bit of teaching. That's part of what's the, the day job, I guess we might call it, is that they're, uh, they've been told for a long time, okay, your new normal is going at a snail's pace, but the snail is definitely moving in the wrong direction. And I'm talking about the environment so they've sort of had this uh, this opportunity to be defeated by that for for a period of time and then suddenly we see this uh, this pandemic kind of do a do a shutdown do a kind of guillotine effect on their entire social existence and it's i often worry about the, the think about the double barrel kind of um, dampening down that the effect that that has, but I am surprised by how resilient young people are, to be honest. Oh yeah, they will bounce back. They are bouncing back. Um, you can see, I mean, look, they're already talking about banning TikTok and why? Because 15 year olds have walked onto it and said, okay, here we go. It's a short narrative format. Great. And they're making millions of things and the poor grown-ups, otherwise known as, you know, Generation X, those old bastards, oh, yeah. can't keep up with it. So it's um, it's great. I think, you know, the, the next revolution will always come from young people. That's where it always starts. It is interesting. They're, because... can, they're thinking about cancelling TikTok. Because of TikTok, obviously, very, very popular, you know, with, with, a, with a group of, of um, young people people who, I don't know if we call them young adults, but in many ways, uh, they deserve that title because they're burdening so much responsibility, I think, especially when you think about how they've got to take the environmental issues into their own hands. They've got to take um, other social problems, issues into their own hands at two, it seems, especially as we've seen recently in the US with the riots. I mean, there's not an old person involved. And if there was, then he was um, unfortunately, standing in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, we have uh, young people really mobilised. And I, I personally, I think that they should uh, think carefully about what's happening with TikTok because we can suggest many conspiracy things. But it seems to me that there's a voice that's, that's trying to be suppressed as well. Let's just put it that way because I don't want to go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole. I mean, have you got anything on that, do you think? Oh, yeah, no, I think you're right. And anyway, if they get rid of TikTok, it doesn't matter because <laughs> the, you know, young people would just jump onto the next thing like they did with TikTok. TikTok didn't exist last year Yeah. as, you know, a big worldwide smash hit thing. The kids will just go somewhere else. You mm. can't stop sedition and you can't stop, you know, idiots. You can't stop, you know, uh silly what do they call themselves conspiracy theorists it's you know calling it a theory is really elevating it um, <laughs> you know chemtrails uh, here's the thing about chemtrails you know how chemtrails are supposed to drop chemicals to subdue everybody on earth yeah yeah um uh, isn't it interesting that now that most of the planes are on the ground uh i i don't know about you but i have noticed 
myself awakening any further. <laughs> Perhaps it is that the idea of chemtrails was bullshit, that they were calling bullshit on aeroplanes, whereas in fact it was bullshit from the very beginning. Mm. Um, it's the, And so, you know, if those dickheads want to get on what's it called, TikTok, fine. Because if you are an adult, rational, thinking person, uh, something like the chemtrails theory is telling you that you are numbed. Yeah. You are you are being dumbed down by forces you cannot see. Uh, in which case, people who say they're aware of chemtrails are saying they are not dumbed down. It's a it's a it's a roundabout way of calling us all stupid. Mm. So uh, yeah, chemtrails people. Please find a part of my body to bite. <laughs> and well, uh, the same thing goes for the right-wing conspiracy things. The this thing, the you know, yeah, it's um, everybody's convinced Vladimir Putin runs Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump doesn't run Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, <laughs> uh, people get these conspiracy theories going. There are conspiracy theories about Hillary Clinton that are just resurfacing now, like that pizza shop. Oh, yeah, just that's weird. idiocy, and you just got to let it run amok and pray to God or whatever you follow, could be a fashion label, that people have enough uh, suspicion towards the things they read to carry on as normal the new normal. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, that's going to be a really interesting thing. You know, people are going to, I think, move into camps fairly de uh, decisively in the first instance. I think we're heading towards a normal that's going to be more tolerant, but not in the first instance. I think, there, I think we've got a normal that's sort of emerging now, and then there'll be a, a very different normal after the vaccine comes out, which, you know, it, in terms of looking at, milestone kind of events obviously there is the pandemic and now we're going to everyone's looking forward towards the vaccine which possibly we could be asking a question about that and i'm getting a few questions backing up here so let me just distill something let's say this are we looking too much into the future too much anticipating new normals we've got to the point now where we're just waiting for the next normal to happen and that is what we spend the now normal doing i mean excuse the irony but are we just looking a little bit too far into the future and, and expecting some sort of utopia to emerge well a mate of mine peter abbott tv producer he was australia australia's first big brother big brother and he uh, he told me a story once when i was saying the same kind of thing like i'm worried about you know this meeting we're going to have i'm worried about the future and he said look there are two ways to live your life and one way is to imagine that you are a prisoner on death row and you know that in five years you're going to be taken from this place and hung from the neck until you are dead now you can spend those five years worrying about that terrible moment that agony when your neck is snapped um, and you suffocate to death in a few f short moments. Or you can get on with your life and live each moment um, to its fullest, and then one day someone knocks on your door and says, sorry, uh, it's five years already, and you go, oh, man, I'd forgotten. Mm. Oh, well. And then you go and get your neck snapped. Yeah, um, yeah. It's two ways to live your life. And, you know, this is it's, uh, it's kind of Zen Buddhist way of doing things you just worry about each moment because when tomorrow comes it arrives in a way that you could not have anticipated um, yeah. it arrives in a way that will definitely as everything every day does surprise you you will be surprised so why panic about it why worry about you know having to deal with a grumpy relative that you know you're going to see on Christmas Day, deal with that when you arrive because who knows, they might be dead and you will have wasted all that time worrying. Indeed. And I, I'm thinking of the flat earther who's, uh, who's happily, blissfully 
reminding himself every day he wakes up, oh, yes, the earth is flat. He's, he's confirming with himself on a daily basis uh, the nature of his own reality. So in many ways, he is the, as zen as the rest of us can hope to be, except to say yeah, that the, yeah. the earth's not flat. That's the only problem he has with that theory. But, uh, the best Christmas present you can give a uh, flat earther is a compass with just a little sign next to it saying, please explain. They can go for hours trying to work that out. <laughs> what does a flat earth compass look like? Would it be square? I mean, I can't. That's well, a very good like question. Compass. Yeah, like every compass is a flat earth compass. It's, uh, uh, but it's one thing that does make them go on. And I figure if, if something takes that long to explain... Um, <laughs> it's probably wrong. It should be simple. There's like, something, something wrong know, with the science there. Oh, to normal people, it's just the compass points to the north because there is a large polar centrifugal force mm. sucking it towards the north. That's right. As and... opposed to they can talk for half an hour oh. about... Uh, well, this thing. Well, the thing is, the, the thing is, and they always start by saying, "Oh, you're very funny," but <laughs> if you ever have to start a response to anything by saying, "Yeah, very funny," but then you've lost your sense of humour about it, and you should take a good look at yourself. <laughs> yeah, at least the very funny part could be an actual no- noise like laughter. You know, but often right. they, they yes. don't. The, the the very funny part is is them suppressing any any recognition of of humour that's associated to their to their committed belief that reality is X and not necessarily Y. Mm, crazy. Yeah, times. yeah. All better right. to remain better to remain open to the whole silly theory. But I mean, there was Martin Amos, a great writer, um, a British writer, said. The humorlessness, what was it? The humorless don't just not know what's funny, they don't know what's serious. <laughs> and, which is, you know, it's better to have a sense of humor about things because you're probably closer to the truth. Well, it's true. And it's, I mean, we're coming through and still riding the wave a little bit of comedians who have got themselves into trouble with people. I don't know exactly how to put it, who may or may not have heard the joke. And we have uh, we still have around us this atmosphere of cancel culture, which I f- find a strange term in its, its own right. I can never work out what exactly what the cancelling... Cancelling is the cancelling of someone's career, evidently, and the culture is to do with the people who do the cancelling. And I uh, just can't help thinking there's a better term. But anyway... So uh, I guess I'm looking now at our goods and our bads and the uglies and asking you the question, what are some of these annoying things we're going to be burdened with into our new normal? And what are some things that we could probably say farewell to? I mean, let me just put road rage on the table. Are we ever going to say goodbye to road rage, Tim? Well... I'm a lifetime passenger. I've never had a license. So um, I only experienced wow. road rage secondhand. Uh, although, here's an idea. I do think in the future it would be good if passengers are given a horn that they can <laughs> honk. Because I have found with the angriest, tootingest drivers that people stay out of their way. Uh, people only go like beep beep occasionally when they think they're in danger. But if you drive down the road honking every three seconds, bam, 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 people will be yeah. aware of you. No one is going to accidentally, you know, run into you. Just a crazy thought. And and you get pulled over. I mean, you've got an argument, surely, haven't you? That's a that's brilliant. What a genius idea. There Which... is, yeah. There's no law against honking a lot there is no you could be taken to court you just say your honor uh just when the police were following me in that 30 second period (laughs) i was honking my horn a lot because someone else was behaving badly on the road it cannot be proven there is no law against it people have to actually start thinking 
what is legal and can I get away with it? I might have been in Melbourne CBD, but there was someone in Coburg clearly running through a stop sign. I let them know. They, they may have heard me. They yeah, may yeah. not. Who knows? But somebody yeah, somewhere yeah, deserved like, that honk, Your Honour. It's like if they weren't coming out of trouble, they were going back into it, Your Honour. <laughs> <Just, laughs> so I'm not sure what, uh, what things will vanish. Um, I would say people will get quite used to being at home. People will, uh, people have had to face their own company, uh, maybe just their company, you know, their loved one or loved ones all locked up together. I think people will have developed, whether they wanted to or not, better skills at being able to deal with, you know, the people in their family unit. Mm. And uh, that can't hurt. I don't. I mean, I I see I see that being a good thing. I know that not every family unit uh, responds to these kinds of stresses in in the same way. But you would have to think that after a generation or two, maybe more, of a um, unbalanced uh, life work kind of situation, that to have this time together is going to give us um, going to reward us with some some positives. That's, I, I feel that way. I, I genuinely think it's a, it's a good oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's very stressful to people with uh, any kind of mental illness because, um, you know, being isolated can put enormous pressure on, on one's perspective. Um, mm. it's, uh, I'm very lucky outside my window there's a big park and then there's a whole bunch of water. So I can get a perspective like there's a world out there. There's a world, you know, I, I know that. Yeah. 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 But um, it's a bit more difficult, particularly when you're living in London, you know, where the best view you've got is of London. And you are, uh, it's not good. That's right. And you go out for afternoon tea and it's already dark. You're like, Oh, wait on. Did I? Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. It is half past three. It's already dark. It's already dark. and they put milk in it. It's just not a, no way to live. So I think there will be good things and bad things. But the other thing is that uh, more people are aware now of the pressures of people dealing with mental illness mm-hmm. because everybody's had to face their own psychology and look at the way their own brain works when, like in uh, Melbourne today, what is it, July 13th, um, they're just finishing their first of six weeks of isolation. Everybody locked up, lockdown, and it's. Uh, mm. uh, I think people are becoming more aware of what mental illness can actually be. That it's not just something that people can fix by straightening up, flying right, and going for a good stiff walk. Mm. Um, so it will be. I think that could be one of the positives: greater awareness and. Uh, uh, more effort put to helping people deal with mental illness on an ongoing basis, not just as some sort of cure. Mm, I think when you isolation is a word that has been used to describe the character of some uh, mental, uh, you know, issues, some mental health issues. Uh, my my mother, for instance, she suffers from post traumatic stress disorder. She was she was present on the day in uh, April 1996 when. Um, a very uh, aggressive young man decided he would uh, would kill some people at Port Arthur. So she was she happened to be there that day, and she was an employee at Port Arthur. And I think isolations, you know, as she's managed her P- post traumatic stress disorder, is certainly a word that you would describe to uh, in regards to her day to day existence. So for pe- someone like her to now hear the stories of people who are in a different kind of isolation. She's uh, not feeling that it's quite as foreign for her. Obviously, uh, she's doing very well. She's going to she's going to feature on this podcast sometimes too because I think she's got a very interesting new normal story to tell. But I wholeheartedly agree. I think that this lockdown uh, experience has sort of given us a kind of a test drive of what it's like to actually suffer from some mental health issues. Yeah, because you're you're locked in a box of, you know, it's mm. where you live. It's not, uh, 
And so a lot of things that would normally distract us, you know, going out, walking, going to concerts, doing, you know, going to work, whatever it is, um, are no longer open to us, which means we're just left with ourselves. Mm. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, so hopefully people kind of start to see, oh, yeah, mental illness actually could be a thing because if I feel like I'm going stir crazy, that could be more a mental illness than I would otherwise have thought. Mm. People who haven't uh, recognised they got a mental illness might actually be working out, hey, there was something wrong with me before lockdown. I should, you know, get it looked at. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that with certain people that, you know, I suppose we all know someone, and I certainly don't want to suggest that I've got friends that are all, you know, having issues necessarily because they wouldn't appreciate that. But there's acquaintances and there's people that we know in our lives where we think, oh, you, you've, you've got, um, you've got a weird sort of uh, insight about yourself now, and and then you start thinking, well, they can, sort of drawing some things out of this uh, lockdown situation that um, maybe they wouldn't have done so necessarily. In uh, another situation, yeah, I think more people more people are calling Lifeline, which is you know it's a great thing. Mm. Um, uh, mainly, they're doing it out of boredom, and then they realise, oh, actually, this is quite quite helpful to talk to someone who might not be a professional, but certainly is someone who has been vetted as having you know knowledge they can give. By the way, the number for that is thirteen eleven fourteen. Um, mm. Always good. I got a couple of mates who um, answer the phones at Lifeline, and um, I vouch for them. I wouldn't do it because you know they wouldn't get a word in. <laughs> no, I'm, you've I'm... got problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, the you've um... got problems. I'm in a wheelchair. Cue that violin again, louder, louder, louder. <laughs> so true. Well, have you got any coins in your pocket? No, who carries coins? Are we allowed to carry coins? I don't think we are. I don't think we can. I mean, we went to the trouble. We've spent uh, decades making these fantastic plastic notes, and I haven't had one in my wallet. For I don't know how long. We've just been pay and save a life, essentially what we're doing now, aren't we? So what what happens yeah, to what happens um, to money, Tim? What happens to money? Well, it's interesting. What happens to tipping culture? Australia's not very big on it, but certainly in the states. Yeah. Um, uh, there are people who would just say, oh, thank you very much, sir, but no thank you. Like they just won't take the cash, which is, I mean, that doesn't happen often, but it will happen. Cash will be slowly phased out as it was supposed to be. Yeah. You know, cash is, uh, cash is, you know, fairly useless way to go and buy things. When was the last time... You went and bought something for cash. I mean, I I don't know. No, I've no idea. I've tipped people with cash, but that's it. Well, I was I was reflecting on your story because you started on the streets with the busking and and in Canberra, and that's you know that's that's a brave brave place to do comedy. And many people don't uh, give much uh, time to that idea now because we don't see a lot of the the type of comedy that you three were doing uh, early on in the day on the streets happening spontaneously well it would be great if we did we do around the festival times and what have you but i was literally at a cafe the other day sitting down and there was a busker there a girl and of course she started playing all the 90s grunge hits that i love she clearly looked at me and knew exactly what to do she was targeting the audience which is fair enough but I didn't have any coins. I was like, "Where well, am I going to get the? What am I going to? What am I going to throw in the in the guitar case now? You know, my, uh, uh, just my whole card, or I don't know. What do I do? Um, let us starve. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it just encourages people singing songs of the nineties. I mean, you know, busking can be used for a couple of things. Um, I don't know how many comedians uh, who I've trained. Um, who I have told who just don't get it. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn how to become good at something, yep. uh, do it for free on the street, including dentistry. Go on, take a risk. <laughs> you, take you if you run fast enough. Um, 
Busking is a great way to learn your craft because nobody's paying any money. No one's going to heckle a busker. What's the point? Yeah. Uh, you know, what are they going to say? Get off. You are off. Yeah. You're not funny. Well, of course you're not funny. You're busking. Yeah. Um, like, it's great that girl was singing 90s songs, but um, I always find that stuff less than, you know, adventurous. Um, I think it's about, you know, if, and, you know, if you listening are a budding comedian, um, go on the street and tell people as they go past, um, if you give me $2, I will give you a three-minute comedy routine you can choose from these topics. Yeah. Um, the two budding comedians I know who did that um, ended up writing their own one-hour show in a tenth of the time that it took everybody else's, and the show was better because they'd already tried everything out. Yeah, that's um, it, isn't it? People hang around and go, oh, I can't wait till Raw comes, then I will do my routine. Well, you know, what, why, what are you waiting for? Go and do it on the street. It's even better now because there's nobody there. <laughs> That's oh, right. Hang on. Yeah. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> but, yeah, busking is the place. That's how the Doug Anthony All-Stars learnt to do what we do. Um, mm -hmm. The last time we were in Edinburgh, we thought, let's just go busking. And it's a great way to give out handbills and, you know, you make a few people laugh. They get a sample of what you're up to but mm. you can tell new comedians you know till you're blue in the face um because they're really quite what's the word oh at heart chicken shit yeah and if if you are chicken shit then you won't do it on the street where you might be oh no embarrassed you poor darling what are you getting into comedy for I've, if I've, you're not ready to be embarrassed, I felt something. I've, I've, yeah, I've hit the streets with it. I've, I've done uh, songs, and uh, they, they had uh, at the fringe before Adelaide. So I've been, I've stand up for, I don't know, nearly ten years, I guess. And I uh, have had, yeah. I've had four shows, uh, I think, uh, over the years. And one of them was at, uh, yeah, maybe the first one might have been at the at the little piglet. Was it the little piglet or the little runt? The runt tent at Adelaide. Uh, Fringe Festival, and they had a, and you probably you make you made use of it yourself. They had a, an outside performing area for um, people to do a, a spot, you know, a, a part of their act, so that they could, uh, you know, encourage people to get along and see the show. And obviously, great for all those circus performers and and people who have got you know shows that are driven by very you know strident phys physical things. But uh, so I, I put my name down. I said, oh, I want to have a go at this. And they were like, but you stand up comedy. How, what are you going to, what do you need? <laughs> I said, oh, I don't really need anything. It doesn't need me. And they go, all right. So how much of the arena are you going to use? You know, this is in the middle of the mall in Adelaide. I said, well, that's yet to be determined. I'll, I'll work that out when I get there sort of thing. And uh, I must admit, it was just so much fun. But I was just a little bit chicken shit. To start off with, to be honest, but um, yeah. Well, of course. I mean, everybody's a little bit nervous, but you become a lot less nervous if you've been doing it on the street. It was good. It's actually the first time I had a chance to sort of interact with the audience because I was fairly new at it then, and I hadn't developed, hadn't stretched that muscle much. I hadn't had a chance to sort of just uh, now adjust to things. To the audience, I'll, I'll throw a question that that doesn't get an answer, but it gets a nod, and that's good enough, you know. And I move on, and it's it's full of a lot of little. Uh, Little invites, you know, to get the, the audience involved, and but uh, that's that was the first time I had a chance to really get a sense that oh yeah, you look someone in the eye, and you and you have that little moment. Uh, it does affect the crowd. The the rest of everyone else are kind of like oh this dude's, he's not just up there pretending he's by himself. No, no, you you know you're communicating your truth to people. That's all comedy is, which is why some people you know get offended because everybody's got their own different truths. PJ O'Rourke is a right wing funny man in America. Yeah. And, you know, his material wouldn't work at the Christmas party for the Greens. <laughs> um, 
who, you know, would say, oh, no, we've got a sense of humor, yeah, yeah, about specific things. But yeah. so do Trump fans. They've all got a sense of humor because they're human, but it's about specific things. Mm. Um, so it's uh, – but uh, doing it on the street is a good way to find stuff that everybody can cope with, even if it is, you know, fairly hard line like the Doug Anthony All-Stars um, we would make sure busking that most people found it palatable, even if it was like eating a, you know, a salty plum. It was like, okay, <laughs> okay, that's true enough for me to laugh. Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? Truth is an interesting dynamic operating. But it's also, it goes back to that thing of people adapting. Um, there are no comedy venues. So what do you do? Yeah. Um, you don't even need a microphone. You go on you go on the street, put a little sign saying stand-up comedy and you do 60-second routines and you have those little, you know, zapper things people can put their card against and give you a dollar. It's not that freaking hard, people. Or you can sit down, watch uh, Netflix and play Xbox until the government tells you it's a, you're allowed to go outside. <laughs> Yes, and you don't get a lot of the the um, swiping of the card um, sitting on the couch unless you make it the routine. You take the couch with you onto the street, yeah, and then you know, then it's a like it's I like, like it. installation art sort of thing. People will poke you and say, "Is, is it a real potato? Was it was it a human?" And yeah, you know, there you go. You could get something out of that. We we, we shouldn't be giving away uh, all these good ideas, of course. Not too many. It's of them a greater. If you're wearing a clown nose, <laughs> you will be given money. <laughs> That's the one criteria. <laughs> All right. So comedy workshop happening on the 19th of July, which I've signed up for, folks. That's right. I've been doing this this bizzo for nearly 10 years or so. I'm an old sticky shoe, as they say, though. I know my time and I get off stage, so give me a break. Come on. But I'm going to tune in. It's going to be 2 p.m. It kicks off. It's, um, you've got to get on to Try Booking. It's as simple as that. Trybooking.com. And you just look up Tim Ferguson. It takes you straight there. And he's going to be doing a two-hour workshop, I believe. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, where I explain the principles of writing comedy. Um, uh, a lot of people say, well, you know, the, you have to follow your heart, follow your nose, follow your gut. That will get you there. And it's true. It's just it's a lot quicker if you listen to someone who's got a bit of experience wrestling the comedy tiger. Um, I give people... Uh, kind of uh, structures, new insights, approaches and tools to help them write their own comedy for stand-up, for if you're writing a comedy movie or a sketch show or a sitcom, whatever it is, um, there are things that work. In the same way uh, that there are hundreds of people doing courses on writing and screenwriting, but um, hardly anybody is teaching how to write comedy as if comedy is somehow something that can't be taught. Comedy is this sort of magical, weird, amazing thing that can't be taught by anything other than experience. Uh, that's mm. not so. I will tell you stuff that will rock your world and make it a lot easier next time you go to write comedy. They're not formulas, but they are, they're the structures of what has always worked in comedy. That's my pitch, Adam. Oh, that's a beautiful pitch, and I'm looking forward to it. I uh, it's There's a little bit more information on the Try Booking website, and I encourage people, anyone who's interested, to go and have a good read. It does. It's a, a course. It's a two-hour workshop, I should say, that's going to give you a lot of uh, a lot of helpful tools, and I've actually spoken. I've approached a few people that I know and kind of drawn their attention to it, who may not have come across it because they're not involved in the comedy world. And that's the thing I find interesting. And you just mentioned just then that there's a lot of people. I guess they call themselves writers, uh, evidently, but they're not really stretching all the all the um, dimensions of what a writing experience is. I mean, Hemingway's known for being particularly an interesting um, guy in the humour stakes. He never put a lot of jokes into his writing, even though it has heaps of energy. But 
as a person, he was hilarious. He was a really, really funny guy. And you sometimes think, I wonder he was if he's a great guy. <laughs> he used to drink his own wee. I mean, that guy would do anything in a party. That's the exactly right. Is, but if only he had just a couple of, you know, tools to say, right, oh, okay, I can I can just have a bit more fun with these characters. Uh, not that there's a lot of fun to be yeah. had with Old Man in the Sea when your hands are being ripped to, ripped, ripped to sheds by a, by a shark. But anyway, putting that aside, I think this is definitely something for more than just your average comedian to get into. No, no. In fact, most comedians won't come because <laughs> they don't know what they don't know. And uh, or, they, um, or, the, having... or they're afraid of knowing or something like that. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're just plain stupid and we'll never hear from them again. You look at the number of new comedians who turn up on Raw, they get about 2,000 people entering. You don't get 2,000 new comedians in Australia every year simply because of that 2,000, maybe 20 will be here in five years doing comedy. And everybody else will just see it as a nice, you know, a nice interesting experience and away they go and, you know, good on them. But a lot of people are lazy and stupid, Adam. (laughs) Um, which is why the new normal will be much the same as the old normal because lazy and stupid won't go away. If you are a comedian, I guarantee you with a money back guarantee, I will send you a check of my own money for wasting your time. If I don't tell you stuff that you don't know, because you don't know what you don't know because nobody else in this country will teach you the stuff that I teach. Mm. I teach an entirely different way of looking at comedy, which is why I teach all around the world. I teach at NYU. I teach at Afters. It's a real thing. Come along, you gormless pillock. Uh, oh no i don't need to i just need to follow my own style uh, yeah yeah you'll follow your own style all the way to the checkout machine at coles that's right except you won't be the one buying oh there's so many things i wish i could say right now but i'm too scared and i shouldn't be should i but uh no don't be scared you know many of them include the word Many like of them I said inc- before about yeah. the arts community. Yeah, you know, fuck them. <laughs> yes, now there's there's a word click. I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, but they um, evidently they do happen and they're uh, alive and well in, in, oh, in many yeah. many of the many, many of the capital cities around Australia, and uh, that's that's why I'm. I won't, I won't say too much, but yeah, oh, look, okay. Well, can I say let this? Let me say it for you. Yeah, okay, you do let it. Me say it for you. If you are a comedian and you you're in a a clique, you may not even think it's a clique because it's just a bunch of guys that you always get together with at comedy festivals uh, where you sit in a corner hoping that everybody realises you're the comedians because you're standing next to someone famous like me. Um, <laughs> let me say, let me say, get right and royally out from being up yourself, you oh. gormless, stupid pillocks, because <laughs> if the clique was ever going to help you, Uh, it would have by now. Think to yourself, when was the last time a comedian said to another comedian, hey, I found this really good venue and I think it would suit you. Here is the phone number of the producer. (laughs) It doesn't happen because comedians are always trying to kill each other. You're better off to do your gig like the Doug Anthony's do. We do our show and then we get the hell out of the venue with people wondering, who are those guys? <laughs> what did they just do? And why aren't they here sucking up to us losers? I tell you, for what it's worth, and I'm not the one giving the advice, you've got to tune in on the 19th at 2pm, folks, that uh, might go to try booking first, of course. Uh, for what it's worth, those who are playing along at home, if clicks are the worst way to just stunt your growth, you will never get oh. a sense that there's... You're the only people you need to worry about other other non-comedians sitting in the audience in front of you. They're the ones, even because there might even be two of them out of the 50 people sitting there. But look at those guys, look at those people in the eye. They accidentally picked up a flyer in a B&B somewhere nearby and they've gone along to the show and they're there to see you. Play to them. They're there. The, that's the feedback you want. A bit like when you busk when you're on the streets. I suppose you know you've you've got the everyday person 
so to speak, walking past, that's that's who you want to connect with. That's your click. You want to make those people go, yeah, that guy. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at comedian cliques, most of the time they're boys hanging together. Let me tell you, boys, nobody cock blocks like another comedian. <laughs> it, you know, you'll be wondering, why do I always go home empty-handed? I thought I was supposed to get laid to do the comedy. That's because you're sitting and getting drunk with a bunch of comic cock blockers. Stop it. A lot of the time. Be your own individual. It and do- of course they're going to bitch about you. If they're bitching about you, it's because you're doing better than they are. But, That's right. You know, again, this is advice that will not be taken. Because, people, <laughs> because most comedians will say, well, I don't do that because I just have Lucy and Jeremy and Colin from when I went to school, who were all comedians, we're not a clique because we went to school together. They'll be able to rationalise it. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, cliques rob you of your fear, the healthy fear you have to have to stand up in front of people who are not in your demo, group, um, friendship, network, whatever the, whatever you call them. Uh, that's what you want. You want to have that little bit of fear that makes you go, you know what, this, I'm standing in front of a corner of a pub, my feet are stuck to something, I don't want to know what it is, and there's five truckies in the room, and a, and a girl who's uh, clearly thinks she's Kate Bush. So let's go, let's start, let's start with jokes and just see how this goes. That sounds like a quorum to me, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> be fearless. And in terms of being fearless, should we say farewell? Tim, have we have we covered everything? I think we've run dry. I'm pretty sure that the listener now is emotionally exhausted. <laughs> Good thing about this podcast, and I'll pretty much put money on it, you can tune in at any point and pick up something I think is well and truly worth your while. So, folks, uh, please give a, a round of applause to Mr. Tim Ferguson. Yay! <laughs> Uh, I know him. I'm having his baby. (laughs) Uh, All right. Uh, This has been normal, but not as we know it. I'm Adam Jacobs. Tune in again, folks, because it will be happening again soon. There's a special guest joining me every week, folks, helping me to nut out the new normal. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Hi, my name is Chris Sanders. I am um, calling from sunny Sarasota, Florida. Um, I just found your podcast um, on accident. Um, COVID-19 has given me an enormous amount of free time. And uh, I've been using some of that free time to explore comedy and other parts of the world, uh, Australia being one of those places. Um, I just listened to your most recent podcast. I uh, loved it. That was a great podcast. Keep them coming. Um, any Australians come to the St. Pete, Tampa area and want to do comedy, open mic comedy, uh, feel free to reach out. Have a great day, everyone, and uh, be safe out there. Take care.